The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Almighty God, we pray along with the psalmist. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And my flesh also dwells secure. Father, what the psalmist has written as a statement, we offer to you as a request. A cry for mercy to help us to experience this. To walk in this, to live it, to set you always before us, you the Lord, central to our vision, controlling our lives, that we would walk with you at our right hand, close beside us, and therefore, because of that, that we would Walk in joy, therefore our hearts would be glad and our whole beings rejoicing and our very selves secure forever. Help us with that. Have mercy on us, Savior. If you've made that possible, would you make that reality? The lives of us here in this room, Lord, would you, we are in different places, would you move us from where we are to where that becomes a reality for us and becomes a consistent reality for us? It is what would be honoring to you for you to be in your rightful place before us at your right, at our right hand at the controlling place in our lives. Lord, we want that. That would be honoring to you and it would be joy and gladness for us forever. So please deliver that to us by your spirit. Help us with the word this morning. Help us to walk into that and to be changed into that. We pray this for the good of us, your people, and particularly for the glory of Christ. Help us to see him and to seek him and to find him as our joy this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 17, where we meet Jesus still on the way to Jerusalem and what awaits him there. When we were last in this chapter two weeks ago, we looked at this connected chain of short teachings in verses 1 to 10, in which Jesus began by calling his disciples, calling the church's people, to fight against sin, both in oneself and in the the local body as a whole to watch out for it, and when you see it, to rebuke it, which you recall does not mean to be harsh about it, but means to address it clearly, to point it out in a way that is wisely, most likely to make it clear and to draw a brother, it says when you see a brother, so a brother or a sister, to draw a brother to change, to repent. So we're not just to rebuke so as to be condemning, but to rebuke so as to address sin, fight against it, and lead to change, repentance, and then forgiveness and restoration. All of which is just part of the normal Christian life. 
wonderful when it happens, we end up a holy people with sin addressed, not just ignored, overlooked, covered up, skipped on by, but with sin addressed, which is good for us, and we end up a, a holy people that is also a loving and merciful and gracious and forgiving and accepting and accepted people, which is a marvelous and beautiful combination. A holy and gracious, a, a pure and forgiving people. That's, that's a marvelous thing. That's the normal Christian life. That's the normal Christian church. Which if you think about that normal Christian life and you think about how difficult it is to get there, it may seem like that is, that is challenging and perhaps even impossible, which is where the apostles go. When they hear him say that, they say to Jesus, help us with our faith, increase our faith. We need, we need help. And he says, actually, no, you don't. You don't need more faith. You need just a little bit genuine faith in a very strong and gracious and powerful God. You need faith in a great object, not great faith. You'll be able to do then what seems impossible. Christ, by his spirit, will work in us and through us and empower us to do what may feel impossible, but which is actually just the normal Christian life. And when he says normal Christian life, it's because the Christian walks filled with the Spirit of God and God works in and through us as we trust him. And so it is God at work in us as was already prayed. It is then the glory due to him. We are just, as he concludes, we are are just unworthy servants. There is no glory attached to us. We walk, he does it. As we trust him, he does the impossible. And that's kind of the bridge into today's passage. Faith and God doing the impossible. It, it takes a different slant in today's passage. It's, it's now no longer instruction, no longer taught. It's shown, it's displayed in a miracle story here. But he's still kind of on the same idea of, of faith and what faith brings to the, the person who trusts God. So we have a miracle story here that's going to be on that topic, and it's, it's here not just because this was next, what happened right after. You'll recall as we move through the section of Luke here, this journey on towards Jerusalem, if you, if you were to carefully look at all the, the indications of, of geography and time, you realize this is not ordered geographically and chronologically. He's, he's gathered together, Luke has gathered together events to, to put them just so, so that they present, so that they teach and instruct not just follow, follow the, the storyline, the chronology. So what we have here is, is a miracle recounted for us to kind of keep us thinking about the topic of faith, keep us thinking about what God does when we believe. So we're going to look at this event on the border of Samaria and Galilee. Let me read it and then draw out three observations from it. It's from Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, 
and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. We'll make three observations from this. And here's the first one. And before I get that, let me, let me explain how I come to this. Because when we see the miracles of Jesus, like we're seeing here, we must always be alert to the fact that they are intended to show us something, to, to reveal to us something. This is especially true when we encounter a specific detailed story. If we have a, a, a general statement such as Jesus healed all who came to him, in the generality there, we have less told us. We say something about his power and something about his compassion, but there's not a lot of focus in, in that kind of a statement. But when we have, by contrast, something like this, a story that's given to us with a lot of detail, a healing with the response and, and what somebody says or doesn't say and what Jesus says or doesn't say and does or doesn't do, we have all those kind of details. We should be alert to the fact that he stopped us on this story to teach us something, to show us something. So we should pay attention to it and listen to it. A miracle. And here now we have the first miracle since the beginning of chapter 14. If you recall, at the beginning of the book, there were lots of miracles. Lots, lots of miraculous events. Jesus doing things, healing people, commanding the wind and the waves, lots of things, but now we've shifted and what was first full of miracles now is more focused on teaching. Hard calls and instruction to discipleship amidst the growing confrontation and hostility to Jesus, always headed towards Jerusalem and the cross, and then we get this miracle. So, Miracles are supposed to teach us, detailed ones especially, relatively considered rare ones especially. What's here? Well, here's the first observation then. That's, that's how I come to that. That's how I'm, I'm reading the Bibles. I'm looking at that. And then I say, what's here? And here's the first observation. Something about us and, and about the world in general. About the situation that Jesus is in and the world in which we are. Humanity's concerns and therefore appeals to God often stop short of our true need. Humanity's concerns, what humankind is concerned about and therefore appeals to God about often stops short of our true need. We have 10 people and Jesus in this short story. And, and Jesus certainly was traveling with a number of other people, and they're at a town, so there were certainly other people present in the town, but none of them are mentioned. All we get are 10 people and Jesus, as if this is the whole world, humankind, interacting with this Jesus. They meet him. 
And it's clear from 12 and 13, they initiate with him. He's met by them, and they stood at a distance and called out to him to get his attention. They, they have to keep, keep a safe distance from him because they have leprosy. Which is an affliction that would have been broad and con contained a number of different skin diseases, some of which would have been very serious and contagious, painful, disgusting, dangerous to health. All of which, though, are, are causing the body to kind of fall apart. They are, they are deteriorating of the body. And so, therefore, in the sight of God, they are not pure and right, what the human form was made to be. They are imperfect. And then, according to the Old Testament law, would render this person spiritually unclean. Unclean in the eyes of God, according to the Old Testament law. His presence is pure and holy. And only the pure can come into his presence. And so then, ceremonially, spiritually unclean, they are cut off. Lepers cut off, unable to participate in worship ceremonies and rituals. And so for those two reasons, because of the, the health concerns, the, the contagious aspect of their afflictions, and because of the spiritual aspect of it, they are then cut off from society in general. Other people don't want to be around them, are, are forbidden from being around them so that they not get infected or contaminated, spiritually speaking. So they are alienated not just from, from God, but from all of society. Endangered in health, unable to, to come into the worship presence of God, unclean and therefore unable to be around society at large. They are legally and socially shunned outcasts. They live a life of death. Ten lepers. And they saw Jesus come near. And they call out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. All ten, then, as we see them there, they have a certain kind of faith. They see Jesus. They know who he is. They call him master. They know he has power. They have heard of his past history and know he has power and may be inclined to use it for them. Have mercy on me. They call out to him. And when he tells them to go see the priest, which would have been necessary only if he was going to cleanse them along the way and the priest would have something to verify, they believe that. They go. They have a certain kind of faith that, that knows who he is and calls out to him and, and hears what he says and, and follows through on it, and it all comes true. As they went, they were cleansed. The word in 14 and the word in 15, healed, is telling us of the miraculous result. He healed their disease. He cleansed them from this unclean leprous state. He wiped it away. All ten of them. All ten of them were sick, hurt, unclean, isolated, spiritually alienated, socially ostracized, all ten call out to Jesus for help, all ten received, they heard the merciful word of hope and promise, and all ten stepped into the promise, and all ten were graciously healed, and nine of them were never heard from or seen again. Because 
they got what they came to Jesus looking for. Then they left. Where's the other nine, Jesus asks. He knows they were healed. Why didn't they return and give praise to God? A criticism because they're in the wrong. They were healed, but they are in the wrong. What's wrong? They were not concerned to turn back, to come back to Jesus and give thanks to him and praise of God. And so their interaction with Jesus ended right there because their true concerns the things that they were after, they appealed to him for, the things they wanted, they were met and they had no further need of him. We need, we ask, we get done. The world treats God this way all the time. All the time. And here in this, as I talk about this for a little bit, here in this, a point that is not meant to be, there, there is wrong in that. But if you hear it only as wrong, you'll, you'll miss something really important here. It is wrong, but it is tragic. The world treats God like this all the time. In time of national danger or tragedy, people turn to God and the churches are full. You couldn't find a seat after 9-11. Right? You could in October. In, in time of personal tragedy, when, when we face personal need, the cancer diagnosis comes, you lose a job, there's an, a car accident in the family, people take up praying and crying out to God and asking him for mercy. And in this country, because of our history, often that includes Jesus. We cry out to Jesus. You can find that, that that's in the culture at large. There, there ironically, is a, is a, a secular, is a non-Christian, a secular song that talks about a situation in life of confusion and doubt and heartbreak. Those are words in the song and the lyrics in the chorus. This isn't easy. This isn't clear. You don't need Jesus till you're here. And what the songwriter means is we don't think of the need for Jesus until we're here. Then we do. I'm not trying to criticize that person. I'm trying to point out that person is, is aware. That's how everybody thinks. It didn't occur to us we needed Jesus until I faced this. In the midst of a, of a troubling, heartbreaking, painful situation, then we cry out to him for mercy. And when that concern passes, those moments are left behind. So is Jesus. This is a picture of the crowds that are all around him. This is what the miracle's here to make us think about. The crowds all around him crowd in, pound in around him, press in around him, shout out to him, cry out to him for certain things in particular. And they're all short of the real need, which they're not aware of. It's wrong and tragic. We've got to get the tragic part. 
This is a picture of the world as it usually is, appealing to, to Jesus, appealing to God for things that concern it, but nothing more. We are concerned about the things of earth, and we think they will satisfy us, that they are of, of prime importance, and so we focus on them, and we end up consumed by them. Our time and our energy, our thoughts, our resources, and when they are threatened, we turn to God, and when they aren't, we don't. Now, this is not to say, notice very carefully, I worded this, stop short of our true need, not our wrong. Jesus is perfectly willing to heal the lepers. He's not saying, that's wrong, I will not do that. It's just stopping short. It's, it's halfway home. It isn't finishing off the kindness of God is meant to lead us to something. No, all we want is the kindness of God. No, it's meant to lead us to something. It's stopping short. That's the tragedy. It doesn't get us all the way there. It leaves us in a spot where we think what I, what I really need, what I, I most am concerned about, and what I would be most satisfied if I found was something here of the things of earth. They stop short of our real needs, stop short of what the one man experienced. So the thrust of this first observation here is, is really a question to you. What do you think you need? I, I could write ten things on a list. Yeah. And I need them. The ten things on your list, you need them. But does your concern stop short and only write those ten things? What's on your list? What do you need? What do you think you need? What are you after? What do you cry out to God for? And then when he comes through, when Jesus answers and gives it, your prayers are quieted and you're gone. That, that is wrong, but please hear that, that there's a tragedy in that. Because when you, when you find that need met, you will, you, will, you will go and you will think, oh, thank, thank God. <sighs> but don't you know tomorrow there will be another one? That thing will come back. You, you, you long, you, you're, you're a, a person growing up and you, you long to get married and you, and you finally get married. And then you start longing to have kids and you finally get pregnant. And then you start longing to have a safe delivery and you have a safe delivery. Then you start longing for, it never ends, it never ends, it never ends. If those are the things that you're living for, if those are the, the concerns, you're stopping short of the thing that would actually give you rest. So the question here at the first point, the thrust of this first observation, what are your greatest concerns? What's your focus? What are the thing you think most needs to be fixed, healed, addressed? And is it stopping short 
of your true need. Which is the second point. Faith sees, seeks, and receives the merciful salvation that is our true need. Faith sees, seeks, and receives the merciful salvation that is our true need. Verse 19 is the concluding statement of the passage, his closing remarks. This man who, who gave thanks to Jesus, as we see in 15, 16, one of the ten was healed. He turned back. He turned back, which makes us think of repentance. He turned back and came to Jesus. But it says he praised God with a loud voice. And Jesus notes that. So we know that it wasn't just somewhere down the road that he exclaimed in a moment a loud praise and then stopped. He has been turned into a praiser. He is praising in loud voice even in the presence of Jesus while he has been on his face, at his feet, giving thanks. He's no longer separated, no longer at a distance calling out, but he has come up close at his feet, on his face, giving thanks to Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And the word translated well there, verse 19, word commonly used for saved, delivered, to put it that way, which could mean saved and delivered from illness or from danger, but can be and often is used to mean saved and delivered from sin or from judgment. Rise up and go your way. Your faith has delivered you. Your faith has saved you. This man is unique. He is what the other nine are supposed to be. So, it makes no sense to see Jesus' verse 19 comment as applying to him and also to them equally so. So they had some sort of faith as we saw, but not like this. He has faith. They were healed in some sort of way, but not like this. He's been delivered. Differently. He has faith. He is saved. Saved in what sense? Well, not just physically, clear they all were, but this man's greatest salvation, his true salvation, we might say, is something that's modeled by this leprosy healing. It's no accident these are lepers. Modeled by leprosy healing, but it surpasses it. What do the lepers need? What does the world need? What do you need? To be clean, no longer sick and hurting, endangered in life, no longer isolated and ostracized, yes. But the true need, what's the true need? And I ask that, and I hope, I hope that as, as I talk about that, that this is a church. I hope that most people here are filling in the blank. But what, what's coming to us here is we fill in the blank, absolutely, but 
may God now speak to you and, and lift this up and say, that's not just the formal, correct, proper answer. That is real for you. This is, in fact, what you need. Fellowship with God through the one mediator, King Jesus. It's what we were made for, joy with Jesus. In his presence, face down in front of him, humbled before him, thankful, living a life of, of praise. That's our true need, and faith saves us to that by dealing with what stands in the way of it, our sin. We saw leprosy endangered physical life. It endangered, it endangered even just continued life. It causes pain, humiliation, all that. But God was always doing something with leprosy in, in this story and, and in general. Like God is always doing something with all of the afflictions. You think, what's, what's God doing with blindness where he's talking about how we can't see? What's God doing with lameness where he's talking about how we can't walk? What's God doing with leprosy? It's here. It exists to make us realize unclean, isolated, living death. It's a model. It's pointing out something to us. Even we who do not actually suffer from literal leprosy, which is everybody I've ever met, I've never met anybody with leprosy. But even, even we who live physically healthy and otherwise perfectly physically healthy, we still, this is a model pointing out to us, this is the human condition. A life that knows pain, not always. A life that knows humiliation, not always. A life that knows isolation, a wasting away. We are unable to avoid it. This is, the, this is tragic, but real. We are unable to avoid this. We are unable to live clean, pure, and righteous. We are sometimes ashamed of ourselves. And sometimes shamed by others. We are unable to live, continually live, full of hope and joy. And if you find yourself full of hope and joy at the moment, you are very aware that tomorrow something might happen that would drop you into despair. We are unable to love our neighbors as ourselves and unable to forgive them ourselves and unable to live then in true, full community. We are very careful as we walk on eggshells amongst one another knowing that we could create a problem in any moment with any word, with any action. These are the, the elements of, of the human condition. We judge, we criticize, we are selfish and we are victims of all that too. So relationship is hard. And this is all because we are sick. Not sick with leprosy, but sick in sin and therefore alienated from God who made us and is life for us and alienated from others around us and troubled. This is the, this is the tragedy of the human condition. And so what we need to look for, you, and you know this, but 
Perhaps God speaks to you in a moment here now and calls you back to it. What, what we need to look for is not just here, the, the solutions to the problems here. I have a problem of alienation with this person. God, would you please address it? I have a problem of shame here. Would you please address it? Indeed, those are good things, but those stop short of, when I have a problem of I am alienated from you, will you address that? That's our need. And to accomplish that, God, not us, God took action. This is the message, this is the message of the good news, the message of the gospel, that God himself took action. God the Son came and was cut off for us, alienated for us, rejected for us. He became a spiritual leper, so to speak, so that we would not be that's the salvation, that, that, that's what deals with our sin, that he takes it onto himself. You, you know this story, but what that means is possible then is that what separates us from God is dealt with and set aside. So there is no longer a, a final, high, impenetrable barrier between us and this one who is life. That's what God has done for you if you're a Christian. That's what God can do for you if you're not a Christian. Trust him. But where we find ourselves, where we find ourselves now as Christians, as Christians often, this one, this one who is so good, who drew near himself to bring us back to him, we, we forget him and we set him aside and attend to smaller needs. Brothers and sisters, this is all passing away. God has acted to deliver you into his presence so that you could live with him set always before you. At your right hand. That you would be then one who walks in gladness of heart, rejoicing, secure. That the psalmist's declaration would be your life. That comes to you, if, if you want to put a single word on that, that, that comes to you, then you can live in that, then if I put a single word on it, through faith. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. What is this faith? It's not, it's not just an empty feel-good. It is an attitude of seeing something and depending on it as true. An attitude of receiving. Faith, trust that God is at work in Jesus and that that is what, that is who I need, who you need. This man sees that, turns back to him, seeks connection with him. He is not satisfied only with the, the cleansing of his body. He wants communion with Jesus. So he goes and gets it. He sees. That's who Jesus is. And he seeks him by turning back to him. And he receives from him 
communion. Jesus is before him, and his, his heart is full of thanksgiving and joy. That's what we truly need. It's, it's held up here. It's commended to us in this man to commend it to us, to the world all around, to call it away from looking for only short-term needs to be, to be met, short, short-sighted needs. But it's also for us, the church, to call us to say, he's the one you need. To cry out to him for mercy on that point. God, would you, would you show me Jesus? Would you draw me into his presence? Would you enable me uniquely to commune with him? Would you, would you clear away whatever sin barrier stands in the way? You have saved me. You have cleared away the impenetrable barrier. But I am prone to wander. Would you draw me back away from sin? And would you deliver me like Mary into the presence of Jesus to sit at his feet and to worship him in thanksgiving, to know joy from Jesus? Would you show him to me in the word? Would you commune with me in prayer? Would you meet with me? God Almighty, you are the one that I need. He's the one you need, Christian. And this is what Jesus died to give to you. Not only forgiveness of your sin, but forgiveness of your sin so that he would give you himself. Do not be satisfied with just his very gracious, very merciful, attending to the short term, the short needs of this earth. You need more than that. Let that kindness draw you into repentance and draw you back to him that he may fill your heart with himself. He is worth it all. We are meant to live. This is, this is the tragedy that I've mentioned a couple of times. The tragedy is that we were meant to live like this, with this great God. this with him. And we forget that. I think we all in some way believe it, but it is, it is not the burden of our consistent pursuit This one man found life in Jesus and the other nine were only healed. Brothers and sisters, life with Jesus is offered to you. By faith, turn to him. Believe that he can be found and cry out, Lord, show yourself to me. He is available to you if you will seek him in faith. Seek him with all your heart and he will be found. He is what you need. And he is available to all, all sorts of people. Here's the third observation. Outcasts of all sorts can draw near to enjoy Jesus in faith. 
even you. Outcasts of all sorts can draw near to enjoy Jesus in faith, even you. It is no accident that this is a miracle addressing the problem of outcasts. And not just sympathetically sick people, but ostracized sick, the shunned. And in faith, that separation is reversed. It's reversed for the leper, not just for a priest or for a religious person, but for a man that, that is, for men that are cast out. No one would have been considered less likely to be restored and brought back close to the kingdom of God than a leper. Except perhaps a leper who was also a Samaritan. Diseased and unclean and also racially offensive. Samaritans were people of mixed race and mixed culture and Jewish people shunned them on the view that God shunned them because of their polluted natures and past shameful religious history. So this man has double reason to be hopeless. And Jesus heals him and saves him all by faith. And in this we find a third important lesson from this parable, from this, this miraculous parable here. Outcasts are welcome on the same ground as everyone else. By faith, by surrendered, humble dependence on Jesus as the focus point of God's saving work, you too, in faith, can draw near You will not be held away by an exasperated, disgusted God. Whatever your past, and I'm, I mean that I'm talking to the person who's not a Christian and looks down his or her past and says, my, my past is the stuff Christians rage against. talking to that person and I'm talking to the Christian who says I have difficulty drawing near to God because if you knew my past and by that I even mean last week whatever your past whatever your past whatever your past religious behavior or your, your spiritual background or lack thereof whatever your lifestyle He will draw near to you also and address decisively your true needs. Someone who's not a, not a Christian comes to a church and says, I have a need for a job and praise. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the true need. You need Jesus. 
You need, you need this with the God who made you. The one who is life and in whose presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. The pleasures and the joys that you're seeking everywhere else and aren't found there. He will draw near to you and decisively address your true need. He is not the savior of Christians or of moral, clean, good people. He's a savior of people who come to him surrendered and in faith saying, I'm yours, help. If that is good news, Because the thing that we need is available. And you don't have to clean up, change, switch. You just have to say, I give up. Lord Jesus, help me. Have mercy on me. And he will. He will. That's a marvelous thing. And if you're a Christian, we come, we come with baggage too from our past. We come with baggage from last week. And it is very easy. It is very easy to drop down into focusing on only the, the needs that fall short or to focus on them because you think that's all I can do because Wonderful, open-armed acceptance by Jesus is not for someone who's done what I've done. The good news is that even you, us, we are not that good a people. That's okay. We are not that good a people, and God is extremely holy. That's okay. Because Jesus is a massively powerful and merciful Savior. And he can close that gap between what I am and what he requires. And so he invites everybody, even you, to come and trust him. I need that. I need you. I need you for life. I, I don't need band-aids. I need cure. I don't need a constant touching of all these things. I need this. I need, I need life that lasts. And the God who made you wants to give it. And Christians, I think this, this is a, a large key that opens up life and joy for us, to believe that and come to him. He'll put all of our, our, our circumstances in order, yes, and he is attentive to them. It is not wrong to cry out to, them for, to him for them. But come to him, come to Jesus, come to him in faith, saying, you are the one I need. Will you please sit before me, sit at my right hand and fill my heart with gladness? 
in the world. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasure forevermore. Let me pray. Father, we entrust ourselves to you. As I, as I pray, as I speak, I entrust this congregation to you and all of the different places where each individual is. I am thankful that you know what's needed in each situation. And so I ask you for, to apply your merciful power speak and call, to renew, to save. Would you heal some, Lord, from rebellion and from sin and save them, give them new life, birth them, make them new creations in Christ. There are probably some here like that, and I pray that you would call those but there are a lot here, Lord, who already know you, and I pray that you would speak to those ones, to us. And you would draw us into your presence. The world with all of its concerns is passing away, but you, you are the king who lasts and the kingdom that is forever. So will you meet us, your people, and enable us to live in that life even now? Draw near, please. Deliver us from what is sinful and what is, more importantly, I think right now, tragic, missing of you. Deliver us from that and deliver us into into your presence, into a, a living, vibrant fellowship with you for our joy and for your glory. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.